as God's heard our voice in prayer, so let's, uh, let's follow suit. Let's uh, pray before the Lord and ask him to hear our prayer right now as we ask him to, to speak to us through his word. Father, we come before you this morning and we have been attempting to worship you, to lift up your name because you are worthy. You have given us, offered us salvation through Jesus Christ. And we understand that in this world, uh, left to ourselves, there's only confusion about all the things that we face. The struggles, the difficulties, even the, the joys. They seem so short-lived. And we wonder the purpose. And apart from you, there is no real purpose. And so we thank you that we can come together as as your people this morning, people who uh, were given an understanding through faith of you, of your purposes, of your great love for us. And we ask that we would continue to grow in our ability to worship you, to lift up your name, to honor you, because you are worthy. You are the one who holds all things together. You are the one who put all things together in the first place. And so we ask that we would be able to come with just hearts that are lifted up and ever learning to praise your name, to glorify you. And even as we, we study your word this morning, we will see how saints of old, uh, your children in other circumstances, were committed to worshiping you. And that we would be challenged and encouraged and, and taught how to be better worshipers. How to understand who you are more fully and how to allow you to work through us. As we desire to fill the design that you have for us. To live for you. To be your image bearers. To be testimonies for you in this world of your glory and of your grace. So lead us, we ask, in our study this morning and in our time of worshiping you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we have been digging into Daniel. We've already gotten into the narrative, the great stories of Daniel, and uh, they are interesting stories, aren't they? And we've also tasted a bit of the prophecy, which originally was... You know, my thinking and why we should go to this book, let's look at a little bit of prophecy. Let's see if, if Steve can get a little better at dealing with preaching prophecy. And we learned in chapter one that Daniel's faithfulness was simply a reflection of God's greater faithfulness, his consistent, everlasting faithfulness. And we saw that mentioned as well in Psalm 66, verse 20. It talks about us having faith in God's everlasting faithfulness, I think is what it usually says in a lot of our translations. But in the ESV, it says his steadfast faithfulness. You see it all through the Psalms. It just keeps reminding us of God's steadfast faithfulness, which to us, we wish that meant he would always do nice things for us that we would never experience anything that was tough or difficult. But in the middle of that psalm, in verse 10, did you see it? It said, he's going to put a crushing load on us sometime. He's going to test us. 
But the psalmist turns around and worships the Lord again and praises God because our God is greater. And he's worthy of praise even when we don't feel like praising him, even when we're facing challenges and difficulties. And that's what Daniel went through. He had seen God's faithfulness in the history to his people, Israel. And I assume in his own life personally, although we don't hear about Daniel and how he grew up and what he faced, but when it came time for crisis, for challenge, he goes, God's faithful. I'm going to show some faith. It's my responsibility. Look at all God has done for us as a people. This isn't the end. God's going to carry us through. Chapter 2, Daniel's knowledge of the vision that the king had, King Nebuchadnezzar, his knowledge was just a shadow of God's incredible knowledge, his complete knowledge. We call it his foreknowledge, which is, goes way beyond just simply knowing beforehand what's going to happen. He plans beforehand what is going to happen. This is God who didn't just create the world, but he created history. It was his story. He's the great director, and he wrote it, and he knows how it's going to play out, and he's involved in how it's being played out. And so we see that as as, as Daniel's the only one who's able to say, well, king, this is what you dreamed. This is what it meant. This is what is going to happen in the future. And the only reason he knew that was because God was telling him. God whispered in his ear. God, as he cried out to God, I mean, under threat of losing his life. And so through these two chapters, we've learned we can trust God. He has everything under control. But guess what? It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us a bit going to hurt at times. It's going to be difficult to trust God. But this is the adventure of life. It's not the confusion uh, of normal life without God where we're going, this doesn't make sense. This is arbitrary. Why is this happening? It's the adventure of someone who says, you know what? This is how God has worked and this is what his word says. And he says he's going to be like this with this world. And we see the sin in the world and we see how things are going wrong. And of course, there are gonna be results like this. But we're still in the palm of his hand. He's still going to care for us because we're his children. That's the language he uses. Not that he spoils us, but he cares for us and he blesses us. And as we look to him, he's going to lead us along through all of this. So there's no way around facing difficulties, facing crises. And, you know, Daniel faced stress and pressure of standing his own, then a very real threat on his life. And so, You know, should we expect anything less? Should we want anything less? Okay, God, just leave me here on my couch, in my cocoon. I don't want to grow. I don't want to know you any better. I don't want to have any greater faith. Or should we be saying, hey, like Daniel, okay, I'll step out. 
I'll face some challenges so that I can grow in my faith because I want to know you more. I want to know you more intimately. You know, sometimes we, we might gather together and sing these songs that we sing with these words that are so great. And we go, man, I wish I felt that more. I wish I, I, I could grasp that idea of God's greatness, his love for me. And, and he goes, okay. Then walk with me through some of these different challenges. Don't just walk through the challenges, but walk with me through the challenges. And there are going to be crises. And some of you were saying a couple of weeks ago, please don't speak about crisis trials anymore because they're happening more. I had a great week. Wednesday, first time ever, I had a document deleted off my computer by mistake and it happened to be this sermon that was mostly there and it was gone and I'd never, I was working back and forth between documents and I don't know how, has, I'm usually careful about this, it was gone. I'm going, oh man. So it's, it's not like writing the sermon, because you're, you're not just writing it, you're, you're trying to remember. I'm trying to remember what I wrote before because I thought it was good. So I wanted to get the same thing I had before. And, and it was just like, wah. Thursday, went to go on a hike with my son. Up north, pulled over to the side of the road. And you know how the plows plow wider than the road? I saw the gravel there. I knew it was there. I didn't realize it was the gravel that the plow had thrown into the edge of the ditch. My wheel was just barely over. Oh, it felt a little soft, so I start to back up. And as I start to back up, the car just goes like this. hundred bucks later. <laughs> it's a touristy area. They know how to treat tourists. Day after that, parked my car behind my sister-in-law's car. She had to work out of the garage around it, but she told me to park there. Then her mirror gets broken off on the edge of the... You know, I was just going, okay, is it every day? Every day this week, something's going to happen that... You know, you just... One of those things, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not like Daniel, you know, life being threatened and, and all the rest. But those things that happen and you feel like kicking yourself and you go... Why did that happen? And then you try and tell yourself, okay, Lord, you have a purpose in all this. You're doing something. Maybe, you know, maybe it's not some great thing other than shaping my heart, shaping my perspective of what this life should be about, how I should look at this life, how I should walk with you through this life. And maybe that's it. Maybe it's not that we're going to have some big understanding of, of, you know, the shifting patterns of world politics as we study this book on prophecy. Maybe it's simply what God is doing in your heart, in my heart, through this. He's saying, I want to shape you into the sort of follower, the sort of child that you should be. So that you take these things as they come and you look to me, and you show more faith, and you grow in your faith, and you know 
that this is what my, these are what my purposes are, and this is how I work. Would you be happy to know that as we go into chapter 3, we have an opportunity to step back and worship. Chapter 3 is about worship. That's what struck me as I read it, as I began to study this chapter this week. And it's different than ever it, it ever has been as I've gone to this chapter. It just seems to be about worship. And a lot of times we think about, oh, stepping back in worship. We think about it, it's disconnecting from the chaos of life. Sometimes we look at worship as, oh, it's a way to unwind. Some people think it's simply entertainment. But is that all that worship is? Is worship the great relax? Is that what it's supposed to be? You know, sometimes we, we kind of narrow our focus and we think this is what worship is. Worship is just simply gathering in this protected area and, and singing songs. But you and I know that worship is much more than that. Worship is supposed to be our entire life. And when we think about our entire life, we realize that worship is included in a lot of different things. A lot of different areas. A lot of different circumstances. And sometimes those circumstances are challenging. So as worship permeates every part of our life, we should think about it as much more than simply stepping back and taking it easy. I came across these verses in Romans 15, 5 and 6. Paul says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as Paul talks to the Roman church about worship, about, you know, together with one voice glorifying God, he uses words like endurance. And more challenging yet, he talks about being in harmony with one another. When we think about this, this sounds like more than a peaceful sing-along here. We know what happened to the Roman church. We know the persecution that they were facing. And we know that the struggles that there was in the Roman church, we studied on Thursday nights between the, the Jewish members of the congregation and the Gentile members and the conflicts that were going on. And we understand that he was calling these people to worship with one voice, God, in the midst of those circumstances. And we start to think worship is a serious business. Sometimes it takes effort, a lot of effort, and, in, and endurance if we're going to be able to worship the Lord. It can be a struggle of our soul, our own soul. You know that. And it can be a battle with the outside circumstances that are pressing in on us. So that's sort of how we arrive at chapter 3 of Daniel, this idea of worship. Well, what happens in the first half of Daniel chapter 3? We've got false adoration, fickle accusation, and a furious altercation. Sounds like everything that can happen in church worship today. 
when we get off track. When that worship is man-centered and not God-centered. So let's begin to read this chapter together and let's get an idea of what's going on in the story and let's learn what God is trying to teach us. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. This is a big statue. And its breadth, six, its breadth, sorry, six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura so everybody could see it in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to to the dedication of the image that King, King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, prefects, governors, counselors, all of those guys, the officials of the provinces, gathered for the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar that he had set up. They stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. That's how the story begins. How would you like that? We're going to worship together, and anybody who's not joining in, who's not singing out, who's not involved, we're going to kill you. How would you like to come and worship under those circumstances on a morning like this? Maybe we won't kill you. Maybe we'll just throw you in the snow or something like that. Worship under pressure. You know, whenever I heard this story taught, and certainly there's some obvious things that come out to us in the beginning, and they're the things that we talk about in the Sunday school classes with the kids. We usually start off with, ooh, Nebuchadnezzar makes a graven image. That's idolatry. That's wrong. And it is. Commandment number two of the Ten Commandments, don't make graven image images. Don't set things up as God's. When only God is God, and we're supposed to worship him, we find out in the New Testament, in spirit and in truth. We plunge into a little deeper layer in the teaching, and we get to the unconditional commitment of those three guys, and we'll find out about that later on, where they say, you know what? God can save us from this fiery furnace. We don't have to worry about that. We're not concerned. He could save us, but if he doesn't, We're still not going to bow down. We're still not going to worship this graven image. But you know, 
as I read this chapter, I just kept thinking about worship and worship and seeing worship throughout. And I want to point out at the outset of our consideration of this event how close Nebuchadnezzar might have been to getting things right. How he might have been trying to do what's right in this circumstance, in his own power, in the flesh, naturally. Because, you know, he never says, never says who they're going to worship. He just says, we're setting up this image and we're going to worship. And think of what he's just been through. He had that vision in chapter 2. What? Of an image. Who gave that image to, that vision of an image to him? God did. And what did Nebuchadnezzar say? He said to Daniel, he, remember he became a deist, which is someone who believes in God. This is what he said. Your God is the God of gods. Because God gave him that vision, and he knew it. God somehow communicated to him, this is important, this is from me. And then God gave him the interpretation, the sure interpretation through Daniel. And this guy's going, you're on track, guys. Daniel, your God is the God of gods. He is all-powerful. I believe in him. He didn't have a relationship with God, but he believed in him. And that should challenge us in our thinking because sometimes we get so excited when someone says they believe in God. And you know what? In our world today, in our society today, that's a big deal. Because everybody wants to walk around saying, I don't believe in God. That's just what we see here. We kind of get excited, but there's still a difference between believing in God and believing God, having a relationship with him. And we see what happens here. Even though he says, your God is the God of gods, he knows God gave him the vision. Maybe in this euphoria of understanding that he had some connection with the true God, as he bows down to Daniel, as he raises him up and his friends to, to positions of honor, maybe he thought this, I am going to follow God's example. God gave me a vision of an image, I'm going to build that image. Only I'm going to make it a little bit better. Because remember, God's vision of the image had the weakness of the clay feet, and it, well, I'm going to make it 60 cubits high and out of solid gold. No weakness, no imperfections. I'm going to imitate God, uh, but I'm going to do it a little bit better. It's interesting. Do you see what's happening here? He builds this image. He makes it better. Better than God's image. And then he says, everyone 
should worship my image built in God's honor. Do you see what happened? Even though he may have had the idea of honoring God, I'm speculating a bit here, but it makes sense to me. He may have been building this image to honor the God who gave him the vision of an image like this. There's a subtle shift. And the honor is actually coming back to who? To Nebuchadnezzar. All the important officials, all the guys have to get together and they have to worship my image under pain of death. Does that sound like something God's going to set up? And so all we have left in the end is an idol and a pompous king, pleased with his accomplishments, using every means possible to manipulate men to worship him. He makes the command, you must worship. He, he caresses them with music. You know, music is an important part of worship because music is something that, that speaks to our heart. And we attach these words, these true words, to music, and it helps us worship God, the true God. It draws our whole being into worship. So he knew about worship. So he's using this music, and who knows? Who knows what it sounded like? I imagine it was pretty spectacular, the music. But he he tries to bring people in gently through this music, commands them. But then if you don't get into it, if you don't participate, well, then there's coercion. We're just going to kill you. We're going to burn you up in a really, really hot fire. Do we see the danger of religious worship? as opposed to relational worship. You see, this is what happens when our worship is just religion. It's us trying to do something to honor God. And in the end, what we're, what we're doing is we're glorifying our efforts to honor God. Look at what we do. We're going to do it a little better. Maybe we're going to go beyond what God has even asked for. That's religiousness. But when it's in relationship, our focus is not on what we do. It's on honoring God. And we understand we can't do that apart from him. Worship becomes really, in one way, complex and in another way, simple because we understand that we have to depend fully on God to honor him. I mean, what do we have when we gather here together? We've got a room full of sinners. We've all sinned this week. We've all done wrong. We've all come here understanding that we haven't made the grade. But Jesus Christ has. 
And that's the whole idea of worship. The whole idea of coming to God is that Christ has lived the perfect life. That Christ has paid for our sin. And so that we, in believing in him, in in having a relationship with him, in understanding that what he did on the cross was for us, he gives us an understanding of that. He gives us the faith to believe in that salvation. We can confess our sin. And we can be forgiven. Not because we asked. Not because we're good people. But because of Christ. Because of his death. Because of the spirits working in our life. Because God's superintending this whole this whole process of bringing us to himself. And so we come to worship relying on God. And that should humble us. I think many times people outside, they look at this and they they look at it in a very natural way and they think those people get together in church because they think they're better than everyone else. And shame on us if we slip into that. Whereas what we have described for us in the word of God, as far as worship goes, it's all because of Christ. And that should be humbling us. We gather together at times like this because we realize we can't make the grade. We don't make the grade and we can't make the grade. But Christ did. And so we gather together to worship him, to honor him, to allow him to work through us in our weakness, in our failures, in our struggle. But so many times we get sucked into thinking about this as a religious worship and not a relational worship. And sometimes it can look so good, so close. I remember when I was beginning in ministry back in the 90s, the big thing was the WWJD, the what would Jesus do bracelets. And you were you know, supposed to always think, what would Jesus do? And that sounds really good, doesn't it? What would Jesus do? I mean, don't you want to do what Jesus does? But at which point? Sometimes Jesus was yelling at people. And sometimes he was talking softly. Sometimes he was, he was feeding people, giving them food. Other times he was letting his own disciples starve. You know, it becomes, it's on us. What would Jesus do? Well, I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to do it. That's not worship. That's not a life that worships God. No, it's in relationship with Christ allowing him to work through us, allowing him to transform our thinking, us coming before him and saying, I don't know, I can't know what is the right thing to do. If we depend on that mentality of what would Jesus do, majority of the time, we'll probably be choosing the wrong thing. And we'll end up being Pharisees. Because we'll start thinking, I've got it all figured out. Oh, I know what Jesus would do, and I know what I should do in this circumstance. 
Rather than saying, Lord, I am trying to honor you in this. You lead me through. I'm depending on you. If I start making my own decisions, I'm going to mess up. And that's what true worship does. It makes us more dependent. More dependent as we continue to mature and as we continue to worship the Lord. We become more dependent on him. He has to lead us. The Pharisees, I mean, they became more and more and more religious and they became more and more dependent on the rules that they were making up, on the things that they were saying. And you know, a lot of the things that they were saying were biblical things, but the whole framework of it was we're going to depend on us to make our own lives right, righteous. You know what Jesus said? He said, listen to what they say, you know, because they're saying a lot of biblical things, but don't do what they do. I think that was in Matthew chapter 23. Read all about it. Listen to what they say, but they don't practice what they preach. They, they talk about the Bible, but don't do what they do because they just have this, this superficial righteousness and they're trying to look good before. It has nothing to do with honoring God. It has everything to do with honoring themselves. That's the great danger in worship. I mean, it's so important. It's why we've been created in this world to have lives that worship God. But in that primary task, that priority task, it's so easy to do the opposite of what we're supposed to do. And instead of honor God, we're honoring ourselves. We need to understand that. We need to see that this is what's going on here in this, in this story. God gave Nebuchadnezzar the vision, right? What did Nebuchadnezzar learn from that message? It was a good message in that. Nebuchadnezzar came away from that with, I'm the head of gold. I'm the big guy. I'm the biggest guy there'll ever be. I'm going I'm to make a statue. And it's going to be solid gold. And everybody's going to worship it. That was what he got out of the message. What should he have got out of the message? It's going to be this stone. And this stone is going to break those feet of clay. And every part of that statue is going to be turned to dust it's going to be like chaff. It's going to be, you know, that which we thought is important and glorious. The human spirit. That's the Olympics. We're going to honor. I love sport. But all that talk about honoring the human spirit. God's saying to the biggest guy who ever will be, Standing in that place of, you know, I am the greatest man. I am in charge of this first and greatest kingdom of Babylon. God's saying, you know what? That, that's fine. But I'm coming. 
and the kingdom that I am going to set up will make everything that's gone before it because it was a waste of time. But it's not a waste of time in God's economy, in his plan. Because in all of these kingdoms that there are, God's going to hold on to a, a remnant, a group of people, not the most powerful, not the most beautiful, not the smartest. He's just going to have some people who are willing to worship him. And, and as the kingdoms go on and do the things that kingdoms do, and as they glorify themselves, there's going to be a group of people who keep going, no, it's God. You know, we see what's going on around us, and we have to live in this society, and we have to face what's going on around us. But you know what? We're not going to get too worked up about it. We're going to speak truth. We're going to honor God. We're going to glorify him. We're going to keep worshiping. That's what we're called to do. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't do that. And we've got to be careful even as the children of God. Because we understand that just as God sent Nebuchadnezzar a vision, God speaks to us with truth, not just visions, but God spoke to us through history, didn't he? The stone came. The stone that the builders rejected came into the world and caused a ruckus. Jesus Christ came into this world and he died on the cross. He paid for our sin. He lived in a way that was absolutely in contrast to the authority of the kingdom at that time. He wasn't too worried about the Roman authorities. But he spoke about the kingdom of God and that offended Rome. And it also offended the religious community. And we think, wow, look what God did. As he spoke to Nebuchadnezzar through the vision, he speaks to us through history, and he says, I am going to build my kingdom through Jesus Christ. And he offers us salvation through the truth, through life in Christ, through Christ who is the way. And you know, as we see that truth spoken like, you know, as Nebuchadnezzar received this vision, we can have the wrong concept. We can start out maybe on the right track and saying, wow, God spoke to us through Jesus Christ. And rather than being humbled and say, wow, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. He was my savior and he, I need to live a life in submission to him. We can start thinking, wow, God of the universe packages himself up into a human being and died for me. I must be pretty great. Do you see how we can take the gospel and in our natural way of thinking so easily slip into a wrong way of thinking? Rather than remaining humbly worshiping God because we know we don't deserve what he's done for us, we start thinking, I must be a pretty great person because Jesus died for my sins. 
And Satan has a heyday. He has a heyday with our pride. And we start to think that worship is about what we like, what we want. Do you know people choose churches based on worship styles? I don't like that kind of music. I don't like what they do there. I'm going to go here because they do what I like here. I remember back in the first of my ministry, churches were, were contacting me to talk to me about being the pastor of their church and things like that. And usually the line of questioning and back in the 90s would go like this. They would say, you know, do you like hymns or choruses? They wouldn't know what I believed about the Bible. They wouldn't know where I was at theologically. But they wanted to know whether I was more of a standard hymns guy or did I like some toe tapping in the, in the, and you go, I, I would have to kind of say to them, and I would, I would say, listen, you don't know what I believe yet. And you're talking about music styles? What is worship about? Is, is worship about, you know, our preferences? Or is worship about finding a place where Jesus Christ is exalted Where we can slip in and be a part of that. That's where we should be. And I appreciate that from the beginning, I can't take responsibility for this. But from the beginning, I've come here and appreciated more than style, the attitude of worship here. We're just here, it's like a, there's... There's the whole, the kiss, you know, thing of, of worship. Not the band. Don't be thinking that. No, kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. That seems to be the attitude of the worship here. And I'm not saying that the people don't practice and, you know, in terms of this sort of worship, the musical worship. I know there's a whole other element of worship and how we, we live our lives. But, but we don't have smoke and lights and more than that, we don't have an attitude of this is about us. And hopefully you're sensing that. There's this, you know, we come here, we gather together, we try and exalt the Lord. And we don't add other things into it. Because the greatest danger in our worship is that we try and do too much. We try and add to. We try and, and start to make it our golden image that we set up. Yeah, what we do here as a congregation, singing together, we can set that up as our golden image. As I write a sermon to lead us in worship of God through his word, that can be my golden image. What goes on in our hearts, our sincere attempt to do well can turn into our golden image rather than 
our worship of God. And we need to take care. Because as soon as it becomes about us, it's like when I parked on the side of the road, I was like just, I was like right on the edge. The tire was just there and when I went to back up, it just sucked me in. As soon as it becomes about us, about our preferences, about what we want, and it's not solely about Christ, what God has done for us, we're heading for the bottom of the ditch. We're going to be in deep. And we see that. Next part, man-centered worship leads to fickle accusation. Let's carry on reading. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans, remember the Chaldeans were the class of people who were wise men, advisors to the king. They came forward and they maliciously accused the Jews. And they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, and all those instruments, every kind of music, they'll fall down before the golden image. And whoever doesn't fall down shall be cast in the fiery furnace. We already know all this. They just keep repeating it through this passage, don't they? Well, there are certain Jews, verse 12, who you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. You've given them a place, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. To you. They don't pay any attention to you. They do not serve your gods. They don't worship the golden image that you have set up. Still doesn't say who that golden image is for. It's just set up. Nebuchadnezzar might have been saying it. It was connected to that God who made it. But it was really all about him. And so, we know the problems that can develop in church life surrounding this thing called worship. We know that there can be accusations and this person thinks that and that person thinks the other thing. And You know, let's never think that this is God's problem. If there are problems in a church, in a congregation about worship, and I'll say again, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we're not struggling with stuff like this right now and it's by God's grace. But if there are problems, it's all about our failing as a people. It's all about us having gotten on tra- off track. It's all about us focusing on ourselves and not on God. Because God gives us every opportunity to fulfill the purpose that he designed us for. Every single one of us is equally endowed with the privilege and responsibility to worship God through our lives. doesn't matter about our, our, our position, the quality of our voice, the opportunities we have, the knowledge there is or isn't. And we see these Chaldeans, they, of course, they didn't serve this merciful God who calls them into a relationship of worship. This merciful God who shows this mercy 
who's shown that mercy again and again and again. They served themselves. And so it didn't matter that these three guys were connected with Daniel, whose God saved their lives, right? The Chaldeans, the wise men, all those guys, their heads were on the block when the king gave the vision and said, okay, somebody needs to tell me what I dreamed and what the interpretation of that dream was or you're all going to die. The Chaldeans, they were there. They, they heard that and they're going, well, nobody can give you that, king. Only God. No flesh can tell you what you dreamed and give you the interpretation. Daniel comes in. Actually, he goes out, first of all. He, he tells Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, pray, call out to God. I'm going to call out to God. We'll see if God answers us. And God answered. And so here these guys are who've been saved by Daniel's God, by the God of these three guys. And, and now they're, they're saying, King, you should throw these guys in the furnace. You should kill them. That's kind of fickle, don't you think? Maybe more so they were offended by what they brought up. These guys, they jumped the line. These guys are leaders in Babylon. We've been around for forever. These guys are recent exiles who who you put in position that's higher than we are. That can't be right. We can't be in the wrong. Let's make these guys suffer. And so they tattletale to the king. How are you feeling? Do you feel any warm feelings toward these Chaldeans? Do we understand them? Have we ever approached God or someone else with accusations against other people? Probably we have. Let's make sure that we're not getting off track and thinking about worship and someone else's life of worship as something that's about us and what we want. Let's make sure when we talk about worship, we think about worship, when we live out our worship, it's about God. Well, that leads us right into the furious altercation. Man-centered worship leads to furious altercation. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, you guys, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn and all those other instruments to fall down and worship. But if you don't worship, I'll immediately cast you into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? We see immediately that he gives them a second chance, which probably has to do with his respect for their God and for Daniel. Because he said before, you know, nobody does this, boom, they're in the furnace. He's going, hey guys, I'll give you one more chance. I'm mad, but out of respect, 
for you guys and what happened before. We'll give you another chance. One more go around. And he says this that just kind of, you know, opens the way here. It's kind of like what the wise men said before. Nobody can interpret this vision but God. No flesh can interpret this vision, only God. He says, you know, who's the God who will deliver you out of my hands? See, he's so me. This is about me. This is about exalting and honoring and worshiping me. I'm the one who's going to touch your feet to the flames and make you worship me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. You, You don't have to give us a second chance. If this be so, our God who we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, if this isn't God's plan that we are preserved in this moment. Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. So Nebuchadnezzar, in this exchange, this furious altercation, shows his true colors. Uh, it says in Matthew twelve thirty four, out of the heart the mouth speaks. We usually end up saying, you know, if we talk long enough, it's better not to talk sometimes, <laughs> because what's in there ends up coming out. And he says, you know, I'm angry, I'm mad. But he stops. He's not talking about God, not thinking about God at all. He, he, he talks about his gods, his image. And he's really offended by their actions or their lack of action. He played the music and they didn't dance. The same thing happened in Jesus' day. Do you remember how it was? Christ, the stone, comes into the world and he starts teaching about a kingdom. A kingdom that is over all other kingdoms. It's the kingdom of God. Sometimes he calls it the kingdom of heaven. And he talks about truth. And everybody is offended by that. And they look at every way they can to, to defeat Jesus, to, to crush him, to cast him down. And at one point in time, he says, you know, you're looking at me and you're saying, well, he's too happy, he's too joyful, like he's living life, like everything's fine. And he says, you know, when it was John the Baptist, you said John was too serious. He's out there living, you know, eating locusts and and wild honey and and living in the desert. And he he quoted this little poem to them. You know, I played the flute and you didn't dance. I sung a dirge, a funeral song, and you didn't mourn. And he said to them, it doesn't matter what I do. You will not be happy. And that's what was going on here. And it didn't matter what these three guys did. 
Nebuchadnezzar was never going to be happy because they would not worship him. They wouldn't follow his rules. They wouldn't do what he wanted. They wouldn't follow his worship style preferences, which were all about him. And that's what we find in this world. If we live honoring God, if we worship God, those who do not worship God, those who worship the human spirit, what society is all about, government, politics, all the rest, they're not going to be happy with us. Because we will keep lifting up Jesus Christ, the stone, the true king of the eternal kingdom. Not some golden image. Nebuchadnezzar was the self-centered worship leader. And he's ready to kill people so that there'll be more people worshiping him. That is where religious worship eventually finds itself. You think about it. Muhammad was ready to slaughter people so there would be more worshipers. So-called Christians of some eras have been ready to kill people for the cross of Jesus Christ. That was not Christianity. It was not what Christ was all about. Christ was calling people to worship. He was not killing people. Jesus was willing to die so that there would be more worshipers. And that's the difference between religious worship. Religious worship will end up when that religion becomes the religion power, they will manipulate, coerce, and eventually kill people to get them on board but when it comes to a relational worship we realize it's not us who are to manipulate other people we can be examples of worship we can call other people to worship we can point them to Christ but it's not about us pushing and shoving and manipulating It's about self-sacrifice. That's what worship is about, not selfish slaughter. What is it that forms our opinion about proper worship? Well, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah seemed to understand what a life of worship was composed of. They were perfectly willing to sacrifice so that they could praise the Lord alone. And that's stark contrast between Nebuchadnezzar. True worship is sacrifice for the only one who is absolutely worthy, no matter what. False worship is anything that is self-centered or man-centered. Even if it's wrapped up in biblical, Christian, or supposedly God-centered images, It will become 
destructive, what we see here. And you think of it, you know, so many times we tell these stories and, and we make them sound so horrible. Well, Nebuchadnezzar made a graven image. We don't realize how easy it is to go down that trail. Think of it. The children of Israel, they came out of Egypt. They were God's people, God's chosen people. Do you remember the golden calf? God's up on the mount, or God's up. Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. God's communicating to him about how they should serve him. The people are saying, we haven't seen Moses for forever. He may have been the one to lead us out, but we don't see him anymore. They said to Aaron, do something. Aaron says later, I just threw the gold in the fire and this calf came out. That is the wording he used when he explained his, what happened to Moses. And all of a sudden we see it, rather than bulls being offered in sacrifice on the fire, they're pulling bulls out of the fire to worship them. But were they really worshiping the calf, the golden calf? Aaron would have said no. Because when he pulled the calf out of the flame and he just gave them this image something to see because they couldn't see Moses this is what he said to them I'll proclaim a feast to Yahweh to Jehovah to the Lord that's what he said he proclaimed a feast to their God their true God with a little graven image on the side And the slippery slope was there. And they got sucked in, man-centered. How important is it that we have a relational worship? Because the passion of the religious worship would end up being destructive, a destructive, furious heat. But the passion of those in relationship with the Lord, we can overcome that heat. We can continue to serve God and God alone. And the salvation that he brought to us through Jesus Christ. Father, help us. Help us to be aware of who you are, first of all. That is the most important thing. May we continue to walk more closely with you to depend on you, to submit to you, to, to know you through your word, to lift up our voice in song, to pray, to speak to you in every part of our lives. And may we also be aware of our weaknesses. Let us know, Lord, when we've just gotten too close to the edge of the road that our wheel's gonna slip in, that we're gonna get sucked into a self-centered sort of view of even worshiping you because if we do that we're we're going to end up doing something destructive to ourselves our relationship with you and our testimony for you in the world you and you alone are worthy and i know that as i say that lord i i don't mean that as much as i should 
but we're called to say it. You and you alone are worthy of our praise. And we ask, Lord, that you continue to train our hearts and our minds and our lives to point to you. We pray that you'd help us to be willing to go through what you will take us through to teach us to train us, to tune our hearts to sing your praise and yours alone. Amen.